Now it's time for a plant fact. Roses are one of the oldest ornamental plants in cultivation, with a history going back over 5,000 years. The philosopher Confucius wrote about them, and Roman emperors treated their guests to dining on carpets of rose petals, with thousands more raining down from above. Become a part of this epic history by planting a proven winner's rose. Just look for the white containers at your local garden center, or visit provenwinnerscolorchoice.com. Now it's time for a plant fact. Everyone loves lilacs, but there's more to them than meets the eye. Their scientific name is syringa, which derives from the Greek word syrinx for panpipes. This is because their stems are filled with a spongy pith that can be removed and the hollow wood played like a flute. You can get your own lilac or any of the award-winning Proven Winners flowering shrubs at your local garden center or visit provenwinnerscolorchoice.com. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Toll-free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. My email is xzone at com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, com. Listen to this, Exxon Nation. This will give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about this hour. It is one of the most influential stories of all time that gave us literature's greatest villain. For a hundred years, we thought his story ended there. But now, he returns. Dracula, the Undead. From Bram Stoker's direct descendant, Dacre Stoker, and Dracula historian, Ian Holt, comes the heart-stopping sequel to the original classic. Based on Bram Stoker's own handwritten notes and extensive research, Dracula, the Undead. On October 13th, 2009, the legend lives. Joining me now is Ian Holt. And Ian, welcome to the X-Zone. I have to ask you, what is the fascination after all these years with Dracula? I think because um, he's a touchstone for all of us. 
I mean, mm-hmm. he's the first vampire we've encountered. Um, as children, we usually see the Bela Lugosi movie. Yes. One of the first vampire movies we see. Mm-hmm. Um, for people that are a little older, you know, they, they, the first vampire they ever heard of was Bela Lugosi. So uh, it becomes a touchstone, you know, and, and Rom's book is still uh, a book that everyone looks to when they turn to vampires. You know, all the legends of turning into a, a bat and, and all the attributes of the vampire, sucking the blood and all of that, all come, all stem from that book. So it's kind of like the, uh, the Bible of vampires, you know. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the uh, New Testament of vampires. But tell me, Ian, are vampires real, or are they folklore? Are they legend, or are they fiction? They are real. They're real vampires. But, you know, like a chicken and the egg, what came first, mm-hmm. real vampires or Brom? <laughs> you know, um, today's, there are real vampires out there today. There's a whole subculture. In fact, um, <clears throat> the head of the vampires lives in Paris, and his name is Father Sebastian. Why would a person want to become a vampire? Well, this is something, you, no matter what culture you, you can bring up, I mean, even the American Indians. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever seen the movie um, uh, A Ravenous or heard of a shapeshifter in, in Indian legend, it's eating of flesh, being a cannibal, or, or drinking blood of your enemy. Uh, the Pawnee were known to do that. They, you would, you would drink, eat the flesh of your enemy, and people said that you consume their soul and their power. And doing this over a long period of time, you were resistant to disease and 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 um, and had extra extra human strength. And then eventually, you gained the power to uh, ship ship into wolves or deer or 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 other types of animals. And uh, this is the legends that go way back hmm. um, in every culture. Uh, also, there's a negative connotation of, of vampires, actually. Um, but in Europe, uh, there was, if you had, even even here, they, even in America, in, in the colonies, there are graves that they've unearthed with vampires in them. They actually stay on the gravestones, the shale carved in, vampire. And the reason for that was the first person to uh, get a disease, let's say, Berkeley, which was then known as consumption. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then everyone else in the family would get it. I was a witness to a staking of a real vampire in Romania. He actually dug up a body and put an iron rod through it. You know, what, the wooden stake isn't really the truth. The wooden stake had something to do with the wood of the cross and all that that came later, but in the legend. But All right. originally it was the iron rod to put through the body. Ian, stand by. Uh, We've got to take a two-minute commercial break. Ian Holt is our guest explanation. www.draculatheun-dead.com That's Dracula, the un, and then a dash, dead.com. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial. Don't go away. Working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly 
to my surprise, he did the mash. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. To my love, Notari, in the castle east. To the master bedroom where the vampires feast. The ghouls all came from their humble abodes to catch a jolt from my electrode. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard. Exonation Ian Holt is our guest. We're talking about Dracula this hour here in the Exxon. And where did your interest in Dracula come from, Ian? Well, you, you hit on a little bit of it with that song, The Monster Mash. Um, you know, when I was a kid, um, I, very young, mm-hmm. um, I was afraid of the monsters, the universal monsters, the Wolfman and, uh, and Frankenstein and Dracula. But I was a huge fan of Abbott Costello, so my dad got the idea of letting me watch Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein, and I could watch the monsters of the comedy. And I, you know, was hooked from then on, but the one that got me... The most was Bella, and I think it was because he was the most human-looking mm-hmm. <laughs> out of them. You know, um, um, you know, uh, Lon Chaney Jr. was wasn't a monster when he was was in makeup, so that doesn't really count. So it was Bella that really got to me, and I think like you know, a lot of people ask me why vampires, why does Dracula stick around with us or, or any vampires, and I think you know, as you're an adolescent, you know, you're so not in control of your life. And you look at, at the, the vampire, he has the power of hypnotism, you know, he can make people do what he wants. Um, you know, when you're struggling with, you know, adolescence and you're trying to get the date, you want to have the captain of the cheerleading squad or the captain of the football team, you know, whatever your choice. And you, and you want, you know, you, you know, there's only one person that can date them in the whole school. But if you're Dracula, you, you can just... You wave your fingers, and all of a sudden, the little hypnotism, and and uh, they're dating you. Um, you know, if you need a best friend, you know, you don't have a friend, bite him on the neck, you know, and you got a friend for life. You know, I think Dracula is kind of who we wish to be. If you're stuck in traffic and some guy cuts you off, you want to pull him out of the car and, you know, in a little road rage. You can't do that because you're worried about the rule of law. Dracula doesn't have that problem. He has yeah. the strength of 20 men. Yeah. You know, he, if, you, if you send him to prison, he can bend the bars and get out, you know. Um, how can the police stop him? You know, bullets go right through him. I mean, you know, you wanna, you're in trouble for cash? You mm-hmm. need to rob a bank? You know, we all have these fantasies. You know, and, and for most of us, they're just fantasies. For, for people, you know, like that are vampires, you know, not the real vampires, but of the movies, they have, the, they have all this power. You know, it's a great fantasy, and I think adolescents, because they're so not in control of their life, really connect with vampires. I mean, look at the Twilight craze. Mm-hmm. All right, Paul, you've got to separate fact from fiction at some time in your life. You just can't keep on pretending you're a vampire with all these powers when you're simply a mortal. True, but I think, you know, for a lot of people, you know, what... When they analyzed the horror craze of the 80s, mm-hmm. why did um, the, uh, the slasher films go over so huge? Why is it that the virginal girl always winds up as the heroine of these movies, defeats the bad guy? I, I think it's you know, almost like cathartic. You sit there and you know, you're a deacon in school, 
I get to go watch these movies. The geek is the hero. Mm-hmm. The first one to always get killed is the you know the most popular kid in school or the bad kid in school that everybody likes. You know, um, I think that's all part of it. I think you know we become as kids get into the the, the phrase this way. And then it becomes part of our lives. We were always interested in the vampire because it was something that we attached to in our youth when we get older. So it's the idea that you don't have to, you know, have plastic surgery. You never grow old. You don't lose your hair. You know, all these things that, and of course, a man's greatest fear is on mortality. You never die. You know, the, my favorite poster of all time is movie poster is the Lost Boys poster. Even though it's not my favorite vampire movie, the poster is my favorite. It says at the top of the poster, sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. And I think that sums it up as best as I've ever heard it. All right, so let's 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 just take a comparison between the fictional vampire, like okay. Dracula compared to the people in today's society who claim to be vampires, like, they're going to die. If they're shot, they're going to die. Uh, um, you know. I, I beg to differ. I mean, I, I, yes, they are going to die. But uh, I, ha- I, you know, we're doing a, putting together a, a reality show uh, about vampires. Mm-hmm. And one of the people that are going to be on is a woman who was a bodyguard for uh, I won't say, but one of the top rock stars in the world. She was shot four times, mm-hmm. she tells me. And these wounds should have killed her. She attributes her survival of those four gunshot wounds to her drinking blood. And that she's she's here today because she's a vampire. Was she born well, a vampire? I don't, know. I, I don't know you know how much truth there is. Uh-huh. Because I'm not a blood drinker, mm-hmm. but there are pe- the people who drink the blood, and now this is not going to go out and get a victim. You know, this is they have girlfriends and boyfriends or, or just acquaintances who give who give them their blood, and before you give the blood, you're screened for HIV and STDs and all of that. You know, um, that you you drink that blood, and you're uh, supposedly you you um, you you have you don't get sick. You don't get the flu every year. You don't get the uh, cold. You, you, you're stronger than an average person. You know, she claims she can bench more than most women, and she's not all bulked out, you know, and muscular like the, um, like the, the uh, heavy uh, bodybuilder women, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a woman, Michelle Belanger, who's an energy vamp, where they, they put her on... Um, on a uh, infra, you know, a thermal camera, yeah. and she sits with her girlfriend, and she runs her hands around the outside of the girlfriend, and you see she almost has no registry. She's almost cold. She's almost at like death temperature, mm-hmm. and the girlfriend has a full aura of energy, of heat around her, and as she runs her hands around her, the energy transfers from the girlfriend to Michelle, and you see Michelle's body warm up in the thermal cam, and the other girl get cold. And she, by the end, the girl, the girlfriend is completely tired, and Michelle is completely energized and alive, and she says she has to do this to live. So, I mean, you know, 
And that, that's easy to record. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it's recorded on the thermal cam. You sit there and you're going, you know, is there anything to this? And I'll tell you, this is maybe a little bit off topic, but there's a website called um, Black Ops or something like that, dot com. And on there they have studies that were done by the KGB that's been translated, all these freedom of information stuff from Russia, mm-hmm. where they found a tribe in South America when they were building the roads to the rainforest that had never seen people. Right. And they were eaters of their own dead to consume and of their enemies. Um, and they, they to consume the soul of the ancestors. Well, what's and the difference between doing the that? What's the difference between doing that and being a cannibal then? There really is none. It's just that um, you know the person in, in those cultures they don't call mm-hmm. it cannibalism because you're not killing a person to eat them. The person dies of natural causes, and then you eat them. It's a very subtle difference. But it, it you know, for technical terms, you know, in science they use they don't just call them actually cannibals. What but use the, what the, what what use does a cannibal have in today? I'm sorry. What use does a vampire have in today's society? And why would anyone in their right mind want to become a vampire? Like, well, like are these know, are these starts, people psychologically starts, balanced? Are they missing something in their psyche? No, no. It comes from two things. One, there's an actual clinical disease. It's called Renfield syndrome, mm-hmm. named after Renfield from the book, where. People, for some reason, uh, are mentally imbalanced, and they, they need to eat, drink blood. Uh, this is a, a psychological, real psychological, you know, a lot of these people who are like uh, Ed Gein and the serial killers mm-hmm. have Renfield syndrome. Um, there's another part of this that comes from vampires, goths, these groups, um, emos, all the stuff that they live outside the general society of what is acceptable society, a way to dress, and you know, and they have their own community. They don't care if you're fat. They don't care if you're thin. They don't care if you're ugly, if you have pimples. They don't care. They don't care how you dress. They don't care if you're rich or poor. If, if you want to be down with them, and you are. And it's a way for people who are not the cool kids in school, the shy and the imperfect, mm-hmm. To find their own clique, and you're accepted. And when you get into it, you know it's like any cult, and that's what it is. It's kind of a goth is a cult, you know, the goth kids and all of that. Uh, it, you can leave when you want. No one's taking your family's money like in a in a in a cult. But you know, what if you're a Wiccan? You know, Wiccans have a lot to do with vampirism. Now, Wicca is white magic. I mean, it still uses the five point pentagram, but it's it's straight up. Evil, like black magic and um, and the devil, is an inverted pentagram, like an upside-down cross. So um, a lot of people confuse Wicca for Satanism, but it, it, Wicca is just worshipping the goddess mother, which is the earth. They believe the earth is itself, you know, the, the energy and the wellspring from which we, we, we come. So, uh, you know, uh, vampires and all that stuff, you, you get involved with it because they're accepting. They'll take you in. You know, it's the same psychological thing of why the gangs work. You know, the, the, the Bloods and the Crips and all the L.A. gangs and, you know, the Latin Kings and everybody else. You, It's a family situation where no matter what you are, they'll accept you. I think that has a lot to do with it. Stand by. You and I have to take our commercial break, Ian. Ian Holt is our sure. guest, Exxon Nation. 
www.draculatheun-dead.com. That's www.draculatheun, then there's a hyphen, dead.com. This is the Exxon on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, Exxon TV, and soon on NNTV. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Hi, this is Ken Elliott. When I'm floating around the universe, I always try to tune in to Rob McConnell. Hey, hold there, Trinity Frog on Sesame Street. When I want to find out what's going on with UFOs or ghosts, I listen to the X-Zone with Rob McConnell. This is Les Corrigan from Target Internet Development. You're listening to Rob McConnell on the X-Zone radio show. This is John Hogue, Prophecy Scholar, and you're listening to Rob McConnell in the X-Zone. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Nation. Ian Holt is our guest. We're talking about Dracula this hour. www.draculatheun-dead.com Tell me about your book. Well, um, it started in... Uh, actually, the journey started in 1995 when I attended uh, the First World Dracula Congress mm-hmm. in Romania. And I got to see, you know, stand at the at Chindia Tower, where Dracula erected the forest to be impaled, 40,000 impaled Turkish soldiers. And I spent the night in Dracula's castle and uh, stood at the window where his wife threw herself into the river, if you've watched seen uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Coppola movie. Um, you know, I, 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 t- I t- toured his, pa- his palace at Tegoverstay and, and went to his house where he was born in Chigashwara. And... Um, from there, um, I met Dr. Elizabeth Miller, mm-hmm. who I understand is a guest on your show. Yes. Uh, she's, the, she's the Dracula police. You know, she wrote everything about Brahm and Dracula you could imagine, and she checked everybody's facts. And she invited me to um, Dracula 97 in L.A., which was the 100th anniversary of the release of the novel. And I stood there in this room where they had all this stuff for sale, and there were like 20 or 30 sequels to Dracula. And not one of them had been a hit. And not hmm. one of them had anything to do with the Stokers. And I said, well, where are the Stokers in all of this? They lost the copyright in 1927, circa 1927. And since then, they've been out of it. 
And I said, gee, wouldn't it be interesting? You know, I knew that Florence Strong's widow had worked on the Bela Lugosi movie. So there was a precedent for the family, you know, keeping Brahms' story alive and protecting it as um, after his death. So I decided to try and track down the Stoker family. And at, at, at 97, I met, you know, Bela Lugosi's son. I met uh, Abbott Costello's daughter, uh, Costello's daughter, Abbott's son, and, and, and um, uh, I met Boris Karloff's daughter. So, you know, the, the legacy thing was in my head. And I, you know, over the years, met people from the family and started to form a relationship with them. And many of them were very jaded and didn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, they, they felt like Hollywood had taken it and run amok with it. And uh, it finally I met uh, Dacre Stoker. And he was, a young, he was a younger part of the family. He was an American part of the family. Um, you know, family branched out in Europe, and you know, Brahms director's descendants don't have the Stoker name because of the daughter. They came from the daughters of the two married. They lost the name. But Brahm, uh, but Dacre's side of the family, and he's Brahms' great grand nephew, retained the name Stoker. So it seemed to be perfect. You know, when we when we met, and Dacre had written a paper in college about uh, the book uh, that his ancestors had written. And he was familiar with it. And uh, when I told him, I said, if we write a book, a sequel, we can reestablish lineage, and not only lineage, but copyright, form a new copyright, and reclaim Dracula for the Stoker family. It, it really lit a spark under him because he felt like he could heal the wound. He wasn't as jaded as the rest of the family saying, mm-hmm. oh, God, this is never going to happen. This is, this is, you know, we're, we're, we're so... Uh, We've lost it, and we're never going to get it back. It was like an open wound in the family, and he thought he could heal it like, like I thought. And I originally wanted to do the screenplay, because that's what I am. I'm a screenwriter. I, you know, I've written nonfiction books, but I haven't written, I've never written fiction before. Um, so I, you know, I was going to do what I do best with the screenplay. But he decided that, you know, to honor Brown, we should do it as a novel, and, and that's how it started. We worked for the next... We researched for two years and then actively started writing the novel. It took us three years to write it. With all the research that had to be done and getting to Brahms' actual notes and interviewing you know, the oldest members of the family for stories that their parents told them about Brahms. So it was, a, it was a very intensive process. And a lot of the story, you know, what didn't just come out of our heads, it came out of Brahms. You know, we felt like we wrote it with Brahm. And, you know, some people don't understand, you know, that I think we've changed things. But, you know, Brahm wrote in a, in a 1901 um, a, a forward to the Icelandic edition of Dracula that a lot of the stuff in, Drac- in his book cannot be explained by science. And he fully expected one day that it would be explained and it would change the book. He's the one who came up with the idea that that everything that happened in Dracula was for real. He said that in in, in the Icelandic edition. He's written, he wrote in other books that it was all based on Jack the Ripper and that Jack the Ripper was uh, you know and the murders were related to the Dracula murders. He wrote all this stuff in and that's where we got a lot of ideas from the book from stuff that Brown actually wrote. In fact. The character of Cotford, Inspector Cotford, 
was on a list of characters that he put together in his notes that uh, Baker went to see at the Rosenbach Library in Philadelphia, where 125 pages of his handwritten notes while he was writing Dracula um, are there, and a lot of subplots and stuff. The, the original text of Dracula was much longer than the book, and it was cut by the editor. So there's all, we don't have a lot of those pages. Only two chapters still exist. Uh, and they were released separately under a title called Dracula's Guest. Was, Brom, that, was Bram Stoker a, a Dracula, uh, a vampire? No, no, no. But here, here's why he chose the name Dracula, we okay. believe. Um, Bram was very sick as a child and he almost died. And they mm. had no, we don't, we don't know what it was that he had. He was bedridden most of his childhood. And ga in Gaelic, they call they what they they called what he had, Rockflua, which means bad blood. Mm. I'm, I'm probably not pronouncing that 100 percent correct. So, but it it sounds like that. But years later, his original title for Dracula, we have it in his notes. He was going to call him Count Vampire, which isn't very uh, you know Count Vampire mm. isn't very uh, original or or exciting, but. He heard stories about Dracula, the real historical Dracula, and um, he heard the name, and the name sounded like Draculia, Draculia was what he heard, which is the uh, uh, Romanian pronunciation of the name, Dracul, meaning dragon, and Ya, meaning son of. And in Europe, the dragon is a symbol, I mean, in Romania, the, the the dragon is a symbol for the devil in Orthodox Christian culture. The seven-headed dragon in the, in the um, Book of Revelation. Well, he he when it when it comes back to uh, America, sometimes in Europe, it's translated as "son of the devil," and that's how um, Brom heard it. And he said, "What a perfect name for it. not only does it sound like the blood disease that almost killed him, but it, it you know he thought the name meant son of the devil." And what a perfect name for a villain of his book. And that's how uh, it became Dracula. How can we tell if we're talking to a, a vampire, if we're out and about in downtown Toronto, downtown L.A., or downtown Montreal, or wherever? What would be a tip-off to an unsuspecting member of society that the person that we may, we may be talking to may actually be a vampire? Well, I'll tell you, you know, you, you don't know. You, you know, um, you, if you see them at night, they're in usually, you know, some exotic dress. You know, um, they, they, they usually dress in a crossover between, you know, the 1700s and, and present day, mm -hmm. something like that. And, you know, you can always tell by their fangs. You know, they, a lot of uh, vampires, there's a, you know, there's a specialty. In this, if you go online to some of the vampire sites, they'll, you'll see fangs, and they're special peacemakers that make real vampire fangs. There's other vampires that go to the dentist and have their uh, incisors filed down to have fangs, so it's the real teeth. But why? You can usually tell. But by why? The what happens when they grow up? And and hopefully, now, these I, are people that are grown up that do this. <laughs> well, you know, like what does that tell you? That it seems to me that these people are not playing with fifty-two cards in their deck. I, you know, I, I've, I've met them, and I don't see them. I think it all grows out of trying to be different. 
you know, they they reject the, um, the, the the tight rigors of society. You know, you have to dress a certain way. You got to wear a suit and tie to work. It's, all this stuff, they, they reject all of it. So, so how do they you make know, a living? Um, how do they pay their bills if they're not part of society? Well, you know, uh, I'll tell you the truth. I, from the vampires can walk about in daylight. And since then, you know, it's been changed. In fact, people that read Brom for the first time today think that's a mistake. Brom made a mistake. Well, in our book, we corrected and say vampires walk about, can't walk about in daylight. Brom got it wrong because Brom's a character in the book and he learned about the story from, from someone. I won't give it away. But a, a vampire came up to me at one of my book signings and he was very upset. He said, you know, he's lived his life during the day having a job. And, you know, now that he, we found, he caused the sequel, that Brahm was wrong and vampires can't walk about in the day, mm-hmm. he has to quit his day job and find a night job. And, his, and like so many of his brethren, he's going to have trouble paying his bill. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they find work. You know, I, look, I, I, I know a vampire who's a butcher by day, works at a butcher shop. Do you know any, do any vampires work for the Red Cross? You know, that's probably, <laughs> they probably are free blood. Yeah. Are, are I mean, you, yeah, other vampires are working, you know, the night shift at hospitals to get blood. D- tell me, are you a vampire? No, no, no. I mean, I, I have had many vampires come up to me and ask to be blood bound mm-hmm. with me, which means you share blood and you become, you know, you're supposed to have a telepathic connection to the person you share blood with. Um, no, <laughs> I uh-huh. knock on hotel room door at night, you know, track me down. But, uh, no, I am not a vampire. Um, I'm a, uh, friend of the vampires. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, I can go to the vampire ball and <laughs> that, which I'm going to in New Orleans. So, so um, do you wear garlic? Do you, do you wear a ring of garlic around your neck? Do you carry a crucifix and do you carry wooden stakes? Silver bullets? Well, maybe the, maybe the crucifix. <laughs> but that's it. And I, you know, I, I, I find that most of them, most of the vampires that I've met, are just regular people. You know, they, 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 they're not, um, they're not. Uh, how should I say, aggressive uh-huh. or act this way? I, you know, I think they're theatrical. You know, I, I find a that's lot a nice of way them. Of putting it. Uh, yeah, they are. They make their own clothes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're very talented, artistic people that somehow just want to live outside everyday society. They're not, they don't, they don't agree with you know, um, with how our world works. They think it's too regimented. But but to does to stand out. you know if you don't agree with with the way the world works, uh, does filing down your teeth or putting fang implants in and drinking blood really solve a problem? No, but did you know? Was it any different in the '60s? You know, what was it? Tune in, uh, drop out, and whatever it was—the the, the phrase. Yeah, but once Everyone again, once again, and flowers. but once another, again, but once again, we're talking about we're talking about people who cannot accept responsibility. That's what it. That's what the bottom line is. They can't. They can't address or they can't attune themselves to the way society acts, the rules, regulations, and laws. So what they do is they form little cliques, little clubs. Yes. We're, we're a bunch of outcasts. Yes. Get together. You know, I, you know yeah, I, I think it is. I think there's strength in numbers. You know, um, 
you know, I, I, I think uh, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, the Flower Children movement and everything else. I mean, it was the same thing. I think, you know, for me, I mean, everybody has their little something that they rebel against. You know, um, my father, you know, was a haberdasher and he had a, you know, the suit, the suit store. Mm-hmm. I refuse to wear a suit and tie. You know, I, I just don't see the problem. If I can dress nice and yeah. come in and look clean, why do I have to wear the suit and tie? But it's you didn't. My little way of, of rebelling. But you didn't file Did down. You didn't. Fi- you didn't file down your teeth into fangs, and you don't drink blood. Yeah, I mean, I think that the drinking of the blood is uh, is you know supposedly for them. You know, they say that it enhances their uh-huh. their physical powers. You know, and and since I've never drank blood, thankfully, except if I got a little cut in my finger, uh-huh. you know, and it was my own. Um, you know. Uh, I, I can't say whether it's true or not, you know, but to them it is. To them it's very real, and it's part, it's almost like a religion in a way. They, it's sort of like they created their own religion. All right, stand by, In We've got to take our final break. Ian Holt is our guest, Exo Nation. We're talking about Dracula the Undead. His website is www.draculatheund-dead.com, or for our Canadian listeners, draculatheun-dead.com. We'll be back on the other side of this break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name's Rob McConnell. Don't go away. She would never say where she came from. Yesterday don't matter if it's gone While the sun is bright Or in the darkest night No one knows She comes and goes Explanation Ian Holt is our special guest this hour. It's been a great hour talking about vamp, uh, vampires and uh, Dracula. Explanation uh, Ian's website is www.draculatheundead.com and that's Dracula the unhyphen or dash dead.com. Uh, you just finished another film project, didn't you? Yes, uh, we are. We just finished uh, my first producing project and mm-hmm. I wrote it. Uh, with uh, Bleeberg Entertainment out of L.A. Um, it's called Episode 50. And if you're a fan of the ghost hunting craze, um, this is a full reality movie about, uh, based on a true story about uh, they, the ghost hunters get attacked by the ghosts. <laughs> Not just getting evidence, but this time they actually attack. And it's part of a true story. Mm. We're very excited about it. It'll be out next year. It stars uh, Kieran Elliott, if... Um, if you know uh, uh, Spike TV's uh, Deadliest Warrior, then you know Kieran. And uh, it's uh, pretty exciting. Why do you think people are still are, are so fascinated about ghosts these days? No, it boggles my imagination. 
I think it's because if ghosts exist, then possibly God exists, and there's an afterlife, and we go on yeah. after our death. And I think, and that's what this movie is about. It's it's about you know, these ghost hunting shows never deal with the implications of the evidence they collect and how it relates to our mortal lives and our. Well, that, that well, that's because most yeah. of the evidence that they collect is fabricated. Well, it could be, but, you know, I'll tell you the truth. And I had five witnesses. One of the places, we, you know, we did our research was at the uh, Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum mm-hmm. in West Virginia. And uh, they gave me divining rods, and I had a 20-minute conversation with a ghost. And I, I, I felt like you did. But until I've seen it, mm-hmm. and this wasn't just like the divining rods crossing for yes and, you know, separating a little by electromagnetic energy in the in the atmosphere. They went full east and west, o- opened for no, and came back mm. and closed for yes. Why didn't they and, just, why didn't know, the ghost just talk to you? I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, you can, you can, you can say that they don't, that somehow they, you, you see these shows and you see battery drains yeah. and, um, all these things in order for them to manifest. Yeah, but you see, I've, I've been in television long enough to know that there's many reasons why a battery will drain and 99999% have nothing to do with ghosts. I've seen batteries... How do, you, how do you explain... I've, I've, seen, bat- I've, seen, I've, I've, I've seen batteries drain in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on a, on a ship. I've seen batteries drain in the middle of a hotel suite in Montreal, Quebec. You know, and I also know that electromagnetic fields are not, uh, you know, are, are not strictly indicative to to the paranormal so there's a lot that has to be taken is is you know they say these crossing electromagnetic fields across crisscross the country in Mm -hmm. places like stonehenge and all this with high energy hey ian i hate ian i hate to do this but we've just run out of time for tonight i want to thank you very much for joining me exonation ian holt has been my guest when it comes to vampires i'm sorry i don't buy it one bit and ghost hunters now, you guys also need a reality check. Don't buy that either. Show me the evidence, like with UFOs, government conspiracies, and all that. Then, I'll believe. I'll be back on the other side of the news. Don't go away. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232.